the word of God. The great thing about worship is this is what worship does. Worship positions us to the place where the gospel makes it clear as to what then shall we do. The worst thing we can do is get emotional remembering those testimonies and not then see what God is calling us to do because you are a living testimony, because you have the power to access the name of Jesus. And so Paul shows us today the steps we take because that's true. Begin reading with me today at verse number 11. And let's jump into the word of God. We'll back up a little bit um, so you can see the full movement. Remember, Paul was writing this in paragraphs, not necessarily verses. We added verses to it, so it was paragraphs, just a thought. So let's see the thought Paul has for us. Verse 11 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we reach all unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. Because of that, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow. I need you to underline that. I need you to highlight that. I need you to hold that, 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 pay, that, that statement there. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him, Christ, who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Put a tag on this text. Our title today is I Will Be and Do. I Will Be and Do. You may be seated even in the presence of the Lord. I will be and do. Let's take a moment and gather where we are in Ephesians. Keep your Bibles open today. Um, those of you who have children in the room, if you want to go to Kids Church, Kids Church is in Kid King Castle. Someone will gladly walk you over there. We have that every first Sunday. Thank you to all of our leaders um, who are working with our children today. First three chapters of Ephesians was fun, right? I'm worthy of every spiritual blessing. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. God has all this faith and smiling on me. That's the being, all the I am statements. I am this. I am extra. I am covered in grace. All the being in Ephesians 1 through 3. And then we get to the doing in Ephesians 4. The first three chapters are fun. It's all this beautiful literature, the lavishing love of God, the ever-flowing grace of God, this grace that yields this amazing purpose. And then we get to chapters 4 through 6. And this is because of the immense blessings that we have in Jesus. This is what we ought to do with those blessings. With great blessings come great responsibility. Let me be honest. I think it'd be honest today. Um, I struggle, I don't know about you, I struggle when the Bible tells me to do something. I know y'all are like so safe, like the Bible says love your enemy, y'all like where? I gotta go love my enemy, I just cannot wait to get dinner with my enemy. I don't want to do that, alright? That's just me, maybe not you, but that's me. I don't disagree with the gospel, I just, I just don't like some of the things Jesus tells me to do. Am I alone in the room? I don't... Jesus, tell me to go do some stuff. I'm like, pineapples, Jesus. I don't want to go there. I don't want to see them. I don't, I don't want to do that because there's certain things in Scripture that I get it, but that's hard. And you know what? Often in my life, I've seen God as like causal. If I do this, then God's going to do this. And so I'm motivated to do certain things to produce godly results, right? I'm, I'm motivated. So I, if I go to church, if I shout hard enough, if I scream loud enough, then maybe God will hear me over my neighbors. So I gotta, and we got shouting competitions. They scream, you scream, just like that. We just screaming, going crazy. I dress up, they dress up. I wear a better outfit next week. Maybe God's going to see me if I have this, right? We got all these competitions that if I do more stuff, then maybe God will bless me with more stuff. And then we read Ephesians. And see that God is not causal. God loves us fully. He just, he just loves every single one of us. And our mistake in culture, and I think even sometimes my own personal walk, is that it takes a lot for me to own the truth that God loves me fully. And so I've lived in the doing that i got to prove myself to God. And then Ephesians becomes refreshing that God has gifted us all with this immense responsibility of gifts on our lives. And the challenge now is, do we love Christ enough to build and mature in the body of Christ instead of trying to prove yourself or try to pay God back for what he's already done for you? So Ephesians 4 through 6 are difficult, but if we're maturing in Christ, 
It actually is a really beautiful segment of scripture. God is literally giving you the steps, one, two, three. So those of you who are to-do list people, Ephesians 4 through 6 is really easy. So what do you do? Live your life in a manner worthy of the calling that God has given you. What is your gift? Whatever your hands find to do, go do it. Then, so what did we see last, last week? We saw this. So be, the principles we saw in verses um, 7 through 13, the number one, we have a gift. Jesus paid for it. That's the price. The process, God used the church in order to get his word through, and the product is Christ-like maturity. That this is straightforward. And then we get to verses 14 through 16. So if I'm living a life in a manner worthy of the calling that I've received, Paul then says, you have a gift. You have an immense gift. Christ paid a great price for your gift. And the goal of using our gifts in the body of Christ is to be mature in the Lord Jesus. And then Paul gives us verses 14 through 16. And Paul says, so let's talk about what it means to be immature. Let's talk about what it means to be mature. And then let's talk about where to apply your maturity. Paul gives us three movements of this text. It's our convictions, our conduct, and community. Let's start with convictions. Look at verse number 14. Paul says, so our convictions, then we will no longer be like infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there with every wind of teaching, cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Paul begins this conversation, verse 14, by painting a picture of what immature Christianity looks like. The picture of immaturity, Paul says, is you will be tossed to and fro by the waves because you're like children. Here's what Paul's doing. Let me, let me show you this. So Paul is really painting for us. I like the way to put this today. So I love analogy. If you all haven't noticed the last couple of weeks, Paul says you have faith like a beach ball. It's empty. It's cheap. Um, it doesn't, <laughs> you can, it goes with every wind away. Think about it. You put a beach ball on a, on a beach and the wind blows, blows the beach ball. Put it in the water, waves come, blows the beach ball. No matter what direction the wind goes, the beach ball is going to go that direction. Has no direction, has no way of telling it exactly where to go. And Paul says, this is what immature faith looks like. If I were to throw this ball out there, I'm, I was going to do it at first service with terribles. So I'm not going to do that again. But um, I was, if, you, if I threw this ball out there, any one of you could hit it. And this ball is going to go whatever direction you hit the ball to. It's going to be whipped around, whipped around back and forth. It's going to be knocked around everywhere because it's cheap. It took 10 seconds to fill up, and it's full of air. That's all it is. And Paul says this is a picture of immature faith. Every cultural wind that comes your way knocks you off course. So when it comes to cementing our faith, when it comes to owning our faith, Paul says, all that's happened to you all, I came to you in Ephesus three years earlier, oh, sorry, 10 years earlier, I came to you to Ephesus, I taught the gospel, we came against the magicians, we came against the soothsayers, we came against all those people, and then a couple years after I leave, y'all been tossed to and fro like a little beach ball. Every little cultural thing has made you question the truth of the gospel. And Paul says, this is how serious I want you to take it. You're acting like children. These were false teachers in Ephesus. And Paul says here, literally, that this, this beach ball, this moving to and fro is like a child. To put it like children, I have a five-year-old. You guys know that. I have a five-year-old son. This year alone, let me tell you what my five-year-old's been into. He was at, he's been in Hot Wheels. He was in a Paw Patrol. Then he was in the tennis shoes. Then he was in the video games. Then he was in the robots. Then you know what happened? We literally, on Monday, I got a whole bag of all of his Paw Patrol stuff because he said, Daddy, I'm done with Paw Patrol. On Wednesday, I said, Cam, Christmas is coming up. What do you want me to make a list for? I want Paw Patrol. I'm like, Nick, bro, we just gave up all the Paw Patrol on Monday, and now Wednesday you want Paw Patrol again. You know why? Because he's five. He's learning. He's evolving. And every parent looks forward to the day when your child knows the two things they want to do, you can put your money into the one, two places. Until then, toss to and fro. You know why? Because he's a child. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know. He's just evolving. He's becoming. And Paul says this is the issue. Christians, we get so comfortable with this evolving mentality that we don't grow. So you don't have convictions. So we don't know how to explain the Holy Spirit. Don't know how to explain Christ. Don't know how to explain Jesus. Don't know how to explain the church. Don't know how to explain what being Baptist is. But I can show enough tell you about Joe Biden's plan for student loans. Tossed to and fro by culture. I don't know what's going on, but Trump. Oh, my God. The church is going to fail, but Trump. Because I can't tell you who Jesus is, but I can tell you everything about Donald Trump. I don't know. I can't explain the Holy Spirit. I can't explain the different gifts and working in the church, but I can tell you everything about Black Lives Matter. Where does the church stand on abortion? What about the death penalty? What about all these different cultural winds? And Paul says, all we're doing is moving with the wind. I can't explain who Jesus is, but I, I want the church to have a stand on something. Who is Jesus? Who's the Holy Ghost? 
The reason the church is failing and Satan is running rampant is because Satan's like, great, if I get you distracted by culture, you can't change it. Oh my God, I'm so good today. If I get you distracted by the world, you can't change the world. So tell me about everything going on in Joe Biden's America. Tell me what Trump did because you can't defend the faith. Paul says, because we're immature, we just bounce around like bounce balls. Every single thing that comes pushes us away. Something happens in Washington, I can't come to church this week. Something happens at work, oh my God, Jesus can't stand me. Everything pushes me away because every wind crashes me and sends me on the other side of the room. Paul is challenging our convictions. Are your core convictions as light and as airy and as easy? As this be- Think about your family. Are your core convictions for your family as light and airy as this beach ball? Are your core convictions for yourself as light and airy as that everything that comes your way just knocks you off the purpose that God has called for your life? Paul says that's a picture of immaturity because when you conv- have convictions, Paul says you don't have life like a beach ball. You have life like a shot put. I'm not going to throw it. But you have life like a shot put. These core convictions... This shot put, this is six pounds. Actual Olympic ones are 12 pounds. These shot put, this shot put, if I were to throw it, would stick into the ground and stay wherever I throw it. This shot put, you put it into water and winds and waves come. It will not move this shot put. It is steady. It is stable. It is secure. It, this, this is a core conviction so strong in you that it is you. Consider how these things are made. This is a cheap piece of plastic with air in it. This took some fire, took some kerning, took some moving of the impurities in it. This took time. Your convictions help you stand when the winds and the waves crash against you. So church, let me tell you this. All of us in this room, eventually, we have to make the decision to grow in Jesus Christ. You have to have convictions. And let me say this. You cannot use the pursuit of growth as an excuse to not grow. I'm just getting better. Please be patient with me. We patient. Grow up. I'm not perfect. Work towards it. I mean, come on now. You Don't waste all this gospel. Don't waste all these services talking about you're going to get better. Make a decision to get better. Block them. Move on. I wish I had a witness in here. Read your scriptures and apply it. Keep on reading. Join a different group because you cannot use the pursuit of growth as an excuse to not grow. Because let me give you a principle. Doing nothing is doing something. That was so good. Y'all know y'all want to put that on Twitter. I said doing nothing is doing something. Making a decision not to apply the scriptures, making a decision not to engage with people, making a decision to not have convictions is a conscious decision of doing something. If you're not growing, you're dying. So if you want to see what convictions look like, let me show you three of them that Paul gives us in scripture. Go to Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. Paul gives us three different convictions that he had for scripture. This is Paul's shot put. These are the things that when the winds of life came against him, when the waves crashed against him, he didn't move like a beach ball, but he stayed sturdy like a shot put. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39. Paul says this, for I am convinced neither life nor death angel, nor demons, the present, nor the future, nor any powers, no height, nor death, nor anything in all creation can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, I have a conviction. Here's what I understand. That no matter what comes my way, nothing is ever going to separate me from the great love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that's a core conviction. I will never let anything stop me from trusting that nothing is going to shake me from the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I want you to highlight these on these. If you have the Bible app, it's in the Bible app as well. Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, not only am I convinced of this, but look at verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, then Gentiles. The picture Paul is painting here is everybody. Paul says the gospel is not just who you choose the gospel is for. The gospel is for everyone. Why? Verse 17. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
Paul is saying here, not only am I sturdy, I have a conviction that the, that the nothing can separate me from the love of God, I'm also convicted and convinced and have a conviction that be, I will live by the gospel because the gospel will make me righteous and be one with God. That Paul says, I'm convicted on the gospel and I'm convicted on the love of God. And then Paul comes together in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and through 24. And Paul writes these words, Jews demand signs and Greek look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Oh, but to those who God called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God, the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Paul says, when I'm shipwrecked, I'm convinced that nothing's going to separate me from the love of God. When I'm stoned, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because by the gospel, I will be righteous in God's eyes. When people don't like me, I will, I will preach the cross and Christ crucified. When your boss gets on your last black nerve, I am convinced that nothing will separate me from the love of God. When I get a report I don't like, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, these are my convictions, the gospel, the love of God, and I'm going to preach Christ crucified because his wisdom is stronger than any human wisdom. Paul says, when you know that you know that you know what Christ has done in your life, and when you see the movement of God in your life, I am convicted and I am convinced that nothing can separate me. I'm not ashamed of what I know and I'm going to keep talking about Christ that has been crucified. Paul says, I want you to be so firm in your convictions that nothing can separate me. The winds and the waves of my life will not make me question the truth about who Jesus is to me. And I know this sounds real white evangelical, but baby, maybe that's the reason we got to read it more. It's not white evangelical. It's the Bible. It's not Southern Baptist preaching. It's the Bible. Baby, let me tell you something. The Bible still works. The gospel still sets you free, and the cross still saved my sins. I ain't got nothing else to give, y'all. The love of God goes over every mountain, past every prejudice, through every assumption, and destroys every bias. The gospel will still reach to every person who wants to get it, and my grandma put it like this and it reaches to the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley that when you hold on to the gospel, Paul says, I am convicted on the gospel. And Christian maturity says, I'm going to hold fast to my convictions that nothing in this world will make me be like a beach ball when it comes to the love of God. I will not question his love when Jesus does something I don't like. I will not question, does he love me, when I read the scriptures and it confronts my insecurities. Because I'm cemented in the gospel. Paul says, you know where Christian maturity is when you look at your convictions and see when life, when winds and waves challenge you, do you move away from your convictions? Are you going to hold fast to what you know about Jesus? So here's some questions I want to ask you this morning. Number one, what keeps you grounded? Like, what keeps you, you know, a couple years ago, my son was like, he was still a baby. He was in a little rocking uh, the car seat thing. And I had a difficult meeting I had to go into. And my wife knew that I was just frustrated. I was frustrated. I was heated. I probably just, I was just frustrated. And so when I was going to that meeting, my wife got my son, my little one-year-old son, and put him right next to me as I was going into this meeting. And she looked at me. She said, you screw this meeting up, you screw his life up. I wanted to say some stuff in that meeting I had, but that kept me grounded. Certain things you cannot welcome into your space. So what keeps you grounded? What is the sun in the room for you? Maybe it's changing the background on your phone. Maybe it's changing the background on your computer. Maybe it's a picture in your car. Maybe it's something in the maybe it's something you write on the bottom of every one of your staff meeting agendas that keeps you grounded so that you don't screw up the future God has destined or delay what God's already written for you. What are your core values? I want you to get to what are your core values? Like here's what I want you to think about core values. You know it's amazing. You know, I love all these home shows. But you ever notice something when they build a home from scratch, the first thing they do, they don't go to the store and pick out tile for the bathroom. 
Y'all notice that? They don't be like, oh, my God, we're going to be like a farmhouse and we're going to go get, like, they don't, the first thing they do, they lay a foundation. They put some studs in the concrete. They build up the foundation, insulated, electricity, everything else, and then you go get tile for the bathroom. Here's the issue. We've dressed up our faith without having a solid infrastructure. What are your core, what, what when life comes and pushes you over will be standing after your worst storm? For me, I'll give you some examples. For me, I, I do this in marriage counseling all the time. When I talk about, like, what are the core things your family is going to stand on? And for me, I have personally, personally, this is personal four, Justin is four, being faithful, consistent, intentional, and passionate. I ask myself four questions before I engage in anything. And that's, am I gonna, it's going to keep my values together. I value being faithful to the calling of God. I value that it's going to wake me up in the middle of the night and want to do I value it being intentional. I value it being consistent with the calling of God in my life. That's my personal values. What are your core values so that when life hits you or when conflict comes your way, you have something to stand on? Lastly, here's the other piece I think that will help you. What waves can push you off course? For some of you, the waves are a who. Matter of fact, here's another principle. There's always a who behind your what. I'm so good today. I don't know. I'm just, I'm in my bag. I wish I had a bag. I'd just like get in it right now. What, what waves, what waves move you off course? Here's the reason I want you to name it. Because when I name it, I don't give the devil language to tell me what it is. All right. Paul says your convictions. Number two, Paul says it's your conduct. A mature Christian has convictions. A mature Christian, I'm going to be and do. A mature Christian has convictions. A mature Christian has the right conduct. My conduct aligns with Christ. Look at verse number 15. Paul says this is what mature faith looks like. Verse 15 says this. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Let's walk through this. Verse 15, verse 14, immature faith. Verse 15, mature faith. Paul says, I am not moved, I am convicted. Why? Here's what I want you to get today. Maturity in Christ is an option. Immaturity in Christ is also an option. The goal is that we withstand the waves and stand firm in our convictions about Christ. Why? Because being mature in Jesus is an option. When maturity is found in a person, Paul says, verse 15, they do one thing really, 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 really well. They speak the truth in love. Now, let, me, let me pause here because I love this and I love studying scripture because all my life I've read this text and I've just like used it. You better use your mouth and speak things in love. Here's what it is. When you translate this into the original Greek, the Greek there is actually one word. English writers added the word speak. <laughs> the word there is truthing in love. Paul says, if you're going to be mature, we truth in love. So it's not literally what we say. It's how we live. That truthing is active. Because maturity in Christ is active. I'm living my life anchored in the truth of the gospel and everything that flows from the gospel is loving. Everything in my lives, what we do, what we say, ought to evidence that I'm working with truth and love. And it's different from the ever-evolving cultural winds and waves that blow our way. So because I'm anchored in truth, because I'm spilling out love, things are just different for you. You handle relationships differently when you're living in truth and acting in love. You do. You forgive people differently when you're living in truth and acting in love. Y'all got quiet. <laughs> you handle your job a little bit different because my workplace is not just a place for a check. It's a place of worship because I'm living in truth. You handle your money different. You don't get mad at tithing when I'm living in truth and acting in love. You love your neighbor as yourself. Hold up. You love yourself when you're at living in truth and acting in love. Why? Because my life is weighed down by the truth of the gospel. And the only thing that comes out of God's truth 
is love. Even if you don't like the way that God loves you. Whew, I'm in this today. Truth and love, according to scripture, are inseparable in the body of Christ. Because here's the implication. You can know truth, but not have love and be an immature Christian. You can know love and not know truth and be an immature Christian. You can't pick one. You ever hear people, I love everybody. I can't stand half the foot, like nobody stands them. Because you pick true love, but you don't want to own the truth of the gospel. When we use love and truth separately to get an edge on someone, to harm other people, to abuse others, or to get over on somebody else, God did not give you the gospel to get even. Oh, my God. I'm, oh, my God. This is so good today. Let me show you all something. So <laughs> when I first got called in the ministry, uh, my wife's pastor, uh, my wife's childhood pastor, Pastor Martin Childs, Pilgrim Rest Baptist Church in, uh, Pilgrim Rest in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, made me a rod and a staff. Um, so this is the rod. And it's actually kind of to, to size. And I had a staff that was about seven feet tall. And so what the rod does is you only correct sheep because you love sheep. You know why? Because my goal as a shepherd is to get us to that green pasture. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to get us because I know when we get to that green pasture, y'all may not like it, but ain't no snakes in the grass, ain't no worms in the grass, Ain't nothing going to kill you in this green pasture. But sheep are over here like, but we like this green pasture. And we want to eat this. And the grass is all gone. And I'm like, listen, if we just get to this piece of grass, I promise you, y'all going to be so full of some new grass. The rods make sure that the sheep that don't want to leave the patch of grass that you want to stay in are corrected. Here's why. Because I want you to get great grass. God only corrects in Scripture. Some of you are uncomfortable with me right now and stay there because God only corrects because he loves. I am giving you the truth of Scripture because I want you to get to this green grass. And I'm breaking some legs today because some of y'all, your legs of your insecurity, the legs of your assumptions, the legs of your bias, the legs of your anger, the legs of your anxiety, the legs of false narratives about you, the legs of your past are keeping you in the wrong grass. And I am breaking legs because I'm telling you, freedom and life and abundance and joy and peace is waiting for you. And I'm only correcting because I want you to get to green grass. Because you can know the truth and be immature. You can know love and be immature, but when they work together, see, that's where even killed sincere statements from the gospel, you live off of that. Because what's truth? God's word is true. And when we are mature in Christ, we imitate Christ, who from God, every word that God spoke is true, even the words we don't like. When we speak the truth in love, we are imitating God's example of always telling the truth. Now, let me say this. That is not telling it like it is. We have equated truth in our culture to rudeness, calloused, negative, opinionated thoughts about somebody else's life. Truth is not you speaking from a position of power. You are speaking from a humble position. Why? Because if it had not been for God, if the truth ever came out on half of us in this building, I'm not speaking from a place of power. I'm speaking from a place of humility. I'm rooted in the truth of God's word, and God is trusting me to regurgitate what God's already said. Why is it we only like telling the truth when somebody else has to grow? I just got to be honest. What were you before? Like, what were you? They just need to know. You got to get better. But we never want to apply it to our own lives. Matter of fact, about 20 of y'all in the room right now are thinking about people, ooh, I wish they were at church. They ain't. You are. I'm trying to get to some green grass. I'm trying to get Trying to get to some green grass. <laughs> True thing has an end goal. Number one, for us to grow up and be mature. Number two, for others, everyone around us, to grow up and be mature too. 
The word of the Lord is not given for you to feel bad. God never takes you to his word so you leave out of there worse. There's never a time when you come into the presence of the Holy Ghost where God wants you to hear the truth of the gospel and feel terrible about who you are. God confronts and corrects because he's trying to get you what he already knows he's planned for you. So God is challenging us then to have a conscious and consistent effort to fall in love with the truth of the gospel. So let me just kill this like black church narrative too because I've grown up in black churches too. Truth of the gospel ain't got nothing to do with clothing, dating, sexual orientation, your opinion about somebody else's life, goals, and all that type of stuff. For some reason, we love telling the truth when someone's skirt's too short. No, you just wish you could put your legs out like that. I ain't scared of none of y'all. No, you, you really, like, I don't like this, I don't like that. No, you just really wish, bro, that you could wear your arms out too. Go to the gym. I'll yell and scream next week. I'm just trying to grow us today. The, the only thing that the Christian, God has given us the Christians the authority to call and confront, according to Scripture in Ephesians 4, is when someone in our midst is not using their gift in the manner that God has called them. That's iron sharpening iron. The subtle way that Satan has infiltrated the local church and the, infiltrated the pulpits of local churches and the body of Christ is when we use our gifts to speak truth, but it's really our opinion. God told me to, no, he didn't. Some of y'all in the building got married to folk or dated folk that everybody else told you they wanted to get you with. And it was just really somebody trying to get somebody out their house. God is showing us that we are too gifted to sit on our gifts. No, God called you to be prophetic and do prophetic work in our community. And you are content with mediocrity. I'm calling you out. God called you to use your gift of exhortation, and you're using your gift of exhortation to beat people down. I'm calling you out. God called you to serve in hospitality ministries, and you have made a conscious decision to not serve in hospitality, but use your gift elsewhere. I'm calling you out. True thing is calling out lazy Christians who are not using their gifts in a way that will build the body of Christ in love. Why? Because when God corrects the gift in love, he will build the body of Christ because God is shaving off the growing edges and the fear that Satan has allowed us to live into so that we can build the body of Christ by the unity of peace through the spirit of God that works in church so that we might live a life in a manner worthy of the calling that's on our lives. So for all of you quick-witted, quick-tongued, fire-breathing folks, who use your mouth for reasons that don't build the body of Christ. Oh, you pride yourself on tearing other people down. Oh, people send them to you because they know when they get to you, your fire-breathing tongue is going to get them. You know what? You have a prophetic mouth that Satan is grabbing a hold of. Oh, I'm in it today. Nothing about that type of stuff speaks to maturity in Jesus. You're not strong, you're insecure in your gift because your quick-witted tongue makes you make sure you don't listen when God is trying to talk to you. Come here. It also speaks to those of you in the room who always got the answer. You're prophetic, but remember, God has the answer, not you. Nothing about that speaks to maturity in Jesus. Maturity in Christ is true thing because you are too gifted to waste your energy on things that will not build the body of Christ. You are too gifted to waste your energy to tear down God's children. You are too gifted to waste your energy to scoff at God's children. You are too gifted to waste your energy to walk by somebody. You are too gifted to waste your energy per my last email. You are too gifted to waste your energy using subtweets and using your Facebook status to tear down somebody when God has given you oil to stir up the community and to work your gift and to call out manifestations in your home, to call out resources, to call out entrepreneurship, to call out gifts and jobs in your home. God did not call you to waste your energy to destroy somebody. He called you to call out gifts so that we can build the body of Christ. So don't Give the devil a foothold in your mouth. 
talking to a whole bunch of you, hear me. You have beautiful hearts, but your mouth doesn't match your heart. Spirit is willing. The flesh is weak. So can I free some of you today? Can I give you two things to free you today? Um, no is a complete sentence. That's so good. I'm waiting for you. That was so good. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say it again. And if we're going to practice this today, no is a complete sentence. On the count of three, I want everyone to practice. Can you just say the word no, right? One, two, three. No. That felt so good, didn't it? I can't come. No. I just don't want to come. No. I don't want to be around you. No. You mess my spirit up. No. I ain't watching Dahmer. No. I ain't watching that movie. No. 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 I don't want to date your child. No. I don't want to go there. Nope. Don't want to buy that house. Nope. Don't want to buy that car. No. Why? Because I said so. No. Because I'm protecting my gift as I'm maturing the love of Jesus Christ. No. On the count of three, everyone say no. One, two, three. No. Some of y'all need to practice typing it in your phone. But three of you, I could just see it right now, are going to dinner after church tonight with people you don't want to go with. My pastor said, tell you no. If you got questions, ask him. He's 6'5", 300. You don't want to talk to him. Reverend Rowan says, I come into rooms with a suit and an attitude. It is what it is, right? So number one, <laughs> no is a complete sentence. And here's the other principle I'll give you. I don't know is an adequate answer. Oh, my God. That's wise. I really want, I know I'm young, but I swear to God, God works with me. I don't know is an adequate answer. Some of the wisest people are the ones that admit their limits. I don't know is an adequate answer. Do you know what this is? I don't know. I don't. You know why I can admit I don't know? Because God has gifted somebody else to do. And so me saying I don't know leaves room for them to work their gift. No is a complete sentence, and I don't know is an adequate answer. So what is a mature Christian? I have convictions. What is a mature Christian? I have, I have contact that aligns with Christ. And what is a mature Christian? Community. I'm a part of the body of Christ. So with my convictions and my conduct, then where do I apply this stuff? Well, Paul just kind of continues the same movement, and I'm finished. Look at verse 16. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in that same love as each part does its work. Church, our goal is to reflect Christ, then live in community with others who are also striving to mature in Christ. So we don't pick on growing people because all of us in Walmart, all of us know where Dollar Tree is. I wish I had somebody here. All of us know if it had not been for God, where would we be? So why are we picking on each other as we mature in Christ? If it had not been for God covering up your wounds, you just as wounded as I am. We both shopping on the clearance racks. I wish I had somebody here. So because we all know where the Ross clearance rack is, and we all know where the Nordstrom's new stuff is, we all work in the mature in Christ. I'm going to talk back to me here today. Our goal, church, is to reflect Christ, then live in community with others who are also striving to mature in Christ. Immaturity picks at the scabs of people who've healed. Oh, hallelujah. Maturity says, I see where you've healed. This is where I'm wounded, and I trust you in this community that before I leave out, you'll help heal me too. We promote our gifts by working our gifts so that every single one of us can be mature in Christ Jesus. Go to Romans chapter 12, and I promise you I'm done. Go to Romans 12. I'm ending with the word of God. Go to Romans 12. Look at what the word of the Lord said. Romans 12. I want you to underline this. I want you to highlight this. I want you to know this text. Every leader definitely ought to know this text. Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. It says these words. By the, for by the grace given me, Paul says, I say to every single one of you, don't ever you think yourself more highly than you ought. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members don't have the same function. So in Christ, though we form one body, 
Each of us, the member, belongs to the others. We have come different gifts according to the grace that was given to us. Look at the text. If your gift is prophesying, do it. Verse 7, if your gift is serving, do it. If your gift is teaching, do it. If your gift is encouraging, do it. If your gift is giving, do it. If your gift is a lead, do it. If your gift is to show mercy, do it. Why? Because we are all members of one body. It's not, it does no good to have one good hand and two bad feet. Come on, talk back to me. No good to have a really good hairdo, but you ain't got no, no hands to comb your hair. Paul says, listen, when it comes to the body of Christ, every part of the body matters. It's no good to have one good thing and two bad things. That's the goal of the same thing. So that means the ushers work with hospitality. Hospitality works with the deacons. The deacons work with the nurses. The nurses work with the choir. The choir works with the preachers. The preachers work with the musicians. The musicians work with the sound team. The sound team works with hospitality. Hospitality works with with the kids. The kids work with the volunteer staff. The volunteer staff works with the paid staff. If everybody works together, we begin to reflect what God wants us to look like. Ain't no good job to have one good ministry and three bad ministries. Paul says that when all of us come together, we are trying to reflect Jesus. So if one ministry is weak, all of us are weak. But when one, all ministries are strong, all of us are strong. And so Paul says, find your lane and sprint in your lane because we are sharpening each other but I want my hand on my right side to be as strong as my hand on my left side. I want the mothers to be as strong as the deacons. I want the deacons to be as strong as the sound. I want the sound to be as strong as the choir. I want the choir to be as strong as the preachers. I want the preachers to be as strong as the kids. I want the kids to be as strong as Sunday school. I want Sunday school to be as strong as small groups. I want small groups to be as strong as the nurses. I want the nurses to be as strong as the ushers. And when all of God's children come together, the devil can't find his way in. And I wish I had some folk at Friendship that can say, this is the last day. I'm going to let the devil own my ministry. The last day I'm going to let the devil own my gift. Because when all of us work together, we will build the body of Christ. Maturity in Christ is not isolated. Ain't nothing good about having one good hand, one good toe. You ever go to the, you ever go to your manicurist and get one finger done? Look at this one finger. Oh my God. I know the other ones are bad. Just don't look, but look at this one. But that's what happens in the body of Christ. Look at my ministry. I'm going to go home and go to sleep so you can get mad at me if you want to. Look at my ministry. Look at how strong we are. Look at how wise we are. And teenagers ain't got no place to go on Sundays. But you so strong. People going to hell in a handbasket. But y'all, mm-mm. One good finger on the manicure. Paul says, you, we work in tandem. We work together. Maturity in Christ desires universal sharpening of iron, that God sharpens me and I sharpen you. And together in community, we build the body of Christ, not to just be one, but to reflect the oneness in Jesus' body. So maturity in Christ has convictions. Maturity in Christ has conduct. Maturity in Christ has right community. That's the scripture. So what do I do next? I'll give you some next steps. I'm not long on this. This is literally just want to give you the script, the, the statement. So here's the thing. If you're going to do this, number one, remove what restricts your growth. Remove what restricts your growth. I, I wear size 15 in shoes, and I have, uh, for so long, I wore size 14s and would take the soles out. And uh, because I just couldn't find my size. I couldn't find them. When I did, they would be sold out of it. So I said, fine, I'm going to buy 14s and stuff my foot into 14s. I have problems with my feet today because I tried to squeeze growth into something that was too small. What is squeezing you? That's creating problems with your ability. Like, it's struggle for me to work. I've had surgery, I've had, I've had knee problems, I've torn things in my knees, and my doctor said, because your shoes are too small. 
What is your too small shoe? that's restricting you from growing and causing problems in other areas of your life because they look good, but it's killing you. What are the things that are stopping you from running faster because you got the wrong stuff on you? Remove what restricts your growth. You know what helped me? I'll just throw this in there for free. This is just new. This is new from before 8 o'clock. What helped me was it was my wife when we got together who saw what was in my closet and said, babe, it's better to have one good pair of shoes and five bad pairs of shoes. As much as we talk about people in our lives who are negative, who are the people that are around you that God has put in your life to call out when you are comfortable with mediocrity? Who are the two or three people in your life that can, hear me, take you to the store or take you to the Bible or take you out to eat to remind you of who you are so you don't keep living into things that are killing you. There's a reason why Jesus preached to the multitude, taught his disciples, but only cried in front of three. Who's your Peter, James, and John? They're going to show you what's restricting your growth and remind you you can't screw up the purpose inside of you. Number two, pursue what's in you. Verse 15 says, speak the truth in love. You have truth in you. You want to know how you have truth in you? Genesis tells us that God gave us the ruach breath of God. There's a piece of God inside of every single one of you that nobody else has. You're not only made in his image, but when God created you, he blew into you a piece of God that no one else has. Pursue what God put in you. You are not here to compare and compete. You are here because there is a way that God has crafted you to see the world that nobody else can see it. Pursue the breath that God put in you. And lastly and finally, partner with your partners. Partner with your partners. You know, that's what makes communion to me so amazing. We're going to do communion a little bit different today. Life is better together. You know, the communion table was so powerful because, like, when you read the scriptures and put it all together, like, at the communion table was, like, a bunch of misfits, right? Like, we love talking about Judas, but, like, Judas and Philip didn't get along, right? And here's the tax collector of Matthew. And when, before Matthew got converted, Matthew was stealing money from people, right? And then here comes Judas, and he's the church treasurer. Don't nobody like the church treasurer. And then on the other side was Thomas, and Thomas just talked too much in business meetings. Like, he always got something to say. Like, what about this, what about this Pastor Jesus? Well, if you touch my side, well, what about this Pastor Jesus if you see my hand? Like, gee, Thomas, shut up. Like, why you always got questions? Like, you asking all these questions, making statements, assuming, Thomas. Like, you got all these questions, Thomas. And then you got, you got Luke over here talking about doctors without borders. Dude, you over here with the lepers, chill out. Like, all you want to do is, like, it's just all these different disciples, all these different personalities. People couldn't stand, Judas didn't like Philip. Philip couldn't stand Matthew. Could nobody stand John, because John over here just laying on Jesus' shoulder every time you see him, because he's the beloved disciple. Well, you know, John, you weren't there in the beginning. That was the sons of Zebedee, because we left our daddy. Do you know we gave up to follow? I mean, can you imagine the communion table? Ain't nobody could stand anybody. And then here comes Jesus. Take my body. Because the one thing that's going to keep you together when the world wants to tear you apart is my body. Take my blood. Be empowered by my sacrifice. And here's the amazing thing. The, 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 the Septuagint is a very, I love, the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The same language that was used for when Eve turned to Adam and gave him the apple he didn't, she didn't walk to Adam. She turned to Adam. Adam was right here. He was silent. There's a whole problem when men are silent. So she turned to Adam. It's the same language when Jesus turned to Judas. Judas sold him out for 30 shekels of silver. Jesus breaks the bread and turns to the very person. At the table is all of us in this room. People who can't stand Jesus, people who got questions for Jesus, people who don't like Jesus, people who've sold Jesus out, people who put a value on Jesus. And Jesus says, take my body, drink this blood, because you got too much in you. I don't want you to make the mistake and hang yourself like Judas when I'll forgive your worst offense. Communion today, I want you to partner with your partners.
I want you to find somebody around you. Grab a communion. It's going to come up on the screen in a second. And I want, I'm not going to lead communion. I want you to lead communion with one another. Because church, if we're going to be the body of Christ, if we're going to look like what Jesus wants the church to look like, if we're going to reflect in Vallejo as it already is written in heaven, it starts with us. Do you like the people you go to church with? Not the five you choose to like. Do you like the people you go to church with? You know, it, it's when, I, when, I, when two or three are gathering, it's a wedding text. When two or three gather and make a covenant with the Father, Jesus says, I'm in the midst. I can't pray for somebody I can't stand because I'm literally lying on the truths of the gospel while Jesus is right there listening. You can't hate someone you pray for. You just can't because I'm literally releasing you off my shoulders. Like too many people live rent free in our heads. They ain't paying no bills, but keeping you up at night, keeping you from purpose, keeping you from reading your scriptures, keeping you from pursuing your, they live in rent free, dictating how you dress, dictating how you live your life. Today, I want you to let that go. I'm talking on your job. Some of you have people in the room today that like literally look like people you can't stand. I want you to have communion with them. Some of you have people in the room that you literally in this room right now, if I could put somebody out of church, you got names. In the note section on your phone, you would come and give me, Pastor Justin, this person, and this person, and this person, and that way, I promise you, you kick them out, church will be so much better. I want you to go take communion with them today. I want you to invite Jesus into your mess. Hey, Philip. Hey, Judas. Hey, Matthew. Hey, Luke. We don't like Mary. You know, Mary, she was out there. She was, mm, she, mm, Mary was little. And then Jesus says, here's my feet. Anoint my feet. But you don't know Mary's story. I do. I know all of Mary's story. And I still welcome her to the table, too. Grab your communion if you would. If you need communion, elevate your hand. Our deacons would love to give it to you.